I'm excited about that. But I'm also excited about this new series that we're starting today called The 20 Building Stones of the Well in Carmel. We ready to go? We up there? Okay, we're good. So let's just, uh, let's just pray again. And yeah, once you stretch with your hands on me, there's a lot to get in in 30 minutes. So we'll see. We'll fly by the seat of our pants. So Lord, thank you. We love the ministry of your word. Your word is so precious to us, Lord. Thank you for the spirit of encouragement that it brings. And we bless you in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Okay, guys. So we are in this series called The 20 Building Stones of the well in Carmel, as we've been seeking the Lord, uh, we've just been asking him, we, we want you to speak about who you see this particular part of the body of Christ as. So just a question, why this series? I want to talk about these 20 building stones. You know, guys, God gives each unique tribe and spiritual family a a very specific spiritual DNA. He gives us a set of core identity values that we here are calling the building stones of the well. And we know that no two spiritual families are exactly alike. So we are, um, we are very yoked with uh, Indy Vineyard and Castleton. We're really yoked with um, Overflow Church. And um, we're yoked, yet we're distinct tribes and family that works together and we blend together and we, we uh, cheerlead one another, but the well has its own unique, distinct flavor that we want to talk about in this next four or five months. So our core building stones are, this is how I would describe it, the constant, passionate, biblical key descriptors that help us wisely steward God's dream for the well. It influences our decision-making, it gives us direction, and it clarifies who we are. Nothing is worse than a confused people groping around in the dark trying to figure out where north is. And so God gives these clarifications and he gives apostolic ministry, the apostolic and the prophetic to give clear direction about we don't have to strive over who we are. This is unapologetically, unashamedly who we are. And we find the root of it in God's word. So the Lord in his kindness has spoken to our team as we've been with him over these last six months. Uh, we feel like he's given us 20 key phrases or descriptions that help define us. So every week over the next uh, few months from now, right today to the end of August, every week we're going to unpack one of those descriptors. And uh, so also we're going to have these frame prints. Every week there'll be a new one of these. So uh, stone number one today is encounter with Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus being the chief cornerstone in our midst. And we'll, uh, by the end of the 20 weeks, we're going to fill this room with 20 building stones of who the Lord says the well is. Also, just for fun, we're building a well up on stage that maybe will stay, maybe will not stay. So Matt and Jen, sorry about the little pebble messes here and there. But it's just a fun visual because... I love that it's not complete yet. We're still in process as a people, right? Will be till the Lord returns. But also he is building something here that's really beautiful and strategic. Okay, so today, stone number one, we value as a family encounter with Jesus. I mean, like where else would we start but with Jesus himself 
being the very center. So it's, I love this statement. We are a Christ-centered church. So when you're inviting people here, when friends are, you know, uh, acquaintances or friends are checking us out on Facebook or on the, our website, we want it to be very clear. We worship Jesus. There, we believe there's one way to God and the door and the gate is the son, Jesus Christ. And so we are clearly a Christ-centered church. We at the well are what I would call a Jesus-central family. Can I get an amen? We're crazy about Jesus. We are lovesick for Jesus. I call that Jesus central. He is clearly our chief cornerstone. He is the only head of the body. Look at me, peeps. He is the only head of this body. It's not John. It's not me. It's not Tom. We are, we are, uh, sons and servants of stewarding a vision, but he is the head of this church. Again, I've been training on the apostolic for months now. If you want to understand the apostolic, a real apostle or real apostolic anointing and voice will come in and get out of the way so that you clearly know Jesus is leading the church. Prophets will never, true prophets will never pull attention to themselves. They will always get out of the way and point people to Jesus. Amen? So this is never going to change. If we miss this, we missed it all. A quote by a good friend of mine. Let the reader understand. Okay, the importance of right and strong foundations. I can't really start this series without talking about foundations. We did, um, we did a foundation series back in the fall. The family thing we did here at the beginning was so foundational. We are laying foundations right now because I believe the well... Uh, I believe the well is a movement. The Lord gave me just this incredible encounter. I was sharing with Gary. Um, it shocked me because I am so, I'm like uh, Craig and uh, Chris. I'm so regional. I think about regions and I think about the state and I think about nations. God puts nations on my heart. And so this week I had the most clear encounter about the well being a movement, that God has multiplication and expansion of family and it is a movement, and so um, movements have to have clear and healthy foundations. It's why we went through that series in the fall. It's why we went through the family series. It's why we're continuing on this. If the foundation isn't uh, healthy enough and deep enough, we can't build a structure that will uh, we can give his legacy to the next generation. I'm always thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about Tori and Liz here, my spiritual kids. I'm like, what legacy can I hand them when I'm in my 80s and like they're in their 40s or whatever? I guess we're not that much apart, but yeah, I mean, where, where, um, where it will remain. I want to be a part of something that will remain till the return of Jesus. So much of what we're doing is going to crumble because it's built on the traditions of men and not Jesus, the chief cornerstone. So I love 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Again, Papa Paul, you can't mess with this dude. I mean, he just goes to every church and so clearly plumb lines them back to Jesus Christ. He says to the church in Corinth, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So can we just all agree here at the well that Jesus will be our chief cornerstone? Okay, he will be that. Thank you. So just real quick thing on cornerstone. 
It's a stone placed at an angle or corner of a building where two walls meet. It's important in joining and binding them together. One of the ways Jesus is the chief cornerstone, he, he joins heaven to the earth. Isn't that cool? And now he lives on the inside of you and I, and he's joining heaven to earth through our bodies, through the body of Christ. It's amazing. The principal cornerstone was the foundational cornerstone. It was a particularly strong one. It was generally chosen for public buildings and city walls. Walls, And it speaks of Jesus as being the foundational cornerstone of the uh, Christian church. And of course, we can't talk about Jesus central without Ephesians 2, 17 through 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, just a little bunny trail. The word household is the word oikos, which means family. Okay, so we're right back at family still. So members of the family of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Again, why does the family need to be built on this apostolic prophetic foundation? Because true apostolic and prophetic is obsessed with the Godhead. They're not obsessed about the ministry of men. They're obsessed about getting people in front of God, about plugging in any place where they're just disconnecting, reconnecting. They're obsessed about the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why the church is founded on that. But Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into this holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Isn't that an incredible, mysterious thing that he's doing in the earth? So I want to talk just quickly about the tale of two houses. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Bruce was doing this series last summer and through early fall. And the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of God's kingdom. If you want to know the value system of heaven, just immerse yourself in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you're going to get the constitution of God's kingdom. At the end of Jesus's treatise on what heaven, what the value system, the economy of heaven is like, he says... Uh, he starts into the story of Matthew seven twenty four through 27 about two houses, but really two types of builders. It's not just the house, but it's how those particular people build their houses. So we know that there's this juxtaposition of one house is built on solid rock and one house is built on shifting sand. And Jesus defines the wise builder is the one who specifically chooses to build on solid rock which is this chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. The foolish one is defined as the one who builds on the shifting sands of man's opinion of religion is shifting sand. The system of this world is shifting sand. It will all shake. It will all fall down eventually. But that which will remain is that which is solidly anchored into the rock of Jesus Christ. Now get this, storms come to both houses. If you think because you're a believer, you're exempt from storm, you're deceived. If you believe as, as a Christian, uh, that part, now I, I'm, I just believe fully in God's provision and blessing and favor and that we are the head and not the tail. But if you believe so much in the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, meaning that false doctrine, 
that you think that nothing will ever touch you, no, uh, no trial, no testing, uh, then read Matthew 7, the end of it. Storms come to both of the houses, but here's the good news of the gospel. One house remains and is un- unscathed. The house built on the solid foundation of Jesus remains. That's why we're starting stone number one. The chief cornerstone is Jesus himself. Who you believe Jesus to be in the very depths of your heart determines what kind of foundation you're building on. So do we want the well built on a rock or do we want the well built on a sand and gone in a couple of years when the first crisis hits? What say you, family? The rock, thank you. Like, this is not a pop quiz, just, there we go. You're so funny. Every house is only as strong as its foundation. Every plant is only as strong as its root system. Apostolic ministry is concerned about depth. They're concerned about root systems. They're concerned about belief systems. Um, What is below the surface, not seen by most, is hugely important to longevity. Amen? Okay, so are we Jesus central? It's time to fall in love again with the central figure of the Gospels, the big idea himself, which is Jesus. We want to fall in love once again with the, the very center of it all, Jesus. We're living in a day when Jesus, his sacrifice, his testimony, it's being sidelined more and more. The good news, the glorious gospel is being changed into a, what I would call a false narrative to satisfy itching ears. Into a false narrative that's less offensive and more palatable. And I'm telling you more and more and more in the days that are coming, the million dollar question on planet earth for all of us will be, who do you say that Jesus is? There are many Jesuses out there. There is only one chief cornerstone. There is only one head of the body, and we don't get to define him. We don't get to make up who he is. The Bible clearly shows us. And so if we get Jesus, we, we automatically know who the Father is, because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's why we did that series on on family and fathering, you clearly get the heart of the father if you go after the wrestle of who is Jesus. It came up with his homeboys over and over again. He gets his leadership team. He's pop quizzing them all the time about what in the depths of your heart do you really believe or are you just a closet agnostic? Guys, there's a hidden agnosticism in the church of Jesus Christ. It's a culture of unbelief that has made Jesus, in fact, it came out in the waiting conference this weekend, which was, I I wish we could just debrief the whole thing today. It was amazing. But it came out that too, too many of us have relegated Jesus and put him off into a corner and put him in a timeout. Instead of our, our heart's cry being, let God be God be God. Let God be God of the church. And so we gave Jesus permission, as though it's so ridiculous. We gave Jesus permission to come out of timeout and to be God over his church. Guys, that ought to get you really excited. That is the best news. When Jesus is leading the church, heaven comes. 
Signs and wonders, breakthroughs, salvations, deliverances, baptisms. I mean, we want to plead for people to do a baptism on Easter. We'll have so many. We'll have to figure out how to be open all day in order to handle it and get a nap in. In the meantime, that's when Jesus is leading his church. That's what happens. Are we Jesus central? I love the C.S. Lewis quote. Is he, what, what say you about Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic or is he really, truly the Lord? He's either lying or he's crazy or he is who he says he is. It is important that especially in an hour when false Christ are arising in the earth and uh, a false grace message that is erasing the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus from the center of the gospel message, the sacrifice of Jesus as that is being, you know, uh, American history is being uh, revised right now. The gospel is being revised by wicked men controlled by enemies over regions. I'm talking about those, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but those territorial things are uh, controlling others to revise the very powerful written word of God, the infallible word of God, which we'll hit in a few weeks, to make it something other than what it is. So we of all times, we need to understand apologetics. We need to be teaching our kids about apologetics. Apologetics is understanding, and I mean, not, it's not being on the defensive, but it's having a defense for objections about the gospel. It is so healthy for us to understand the objections coming against Jesus Christ and how we live and against the word of God. And so I love Lee Strobel is one of the clearest apologists of our day and our time. He's the one who, who wrote uh, The Case for Christ that just was made into a movie this past year. I recommend that you guys watch this. He was a um, hoity-toity lawyer and uh, just a brilliant, brilliant guy. His wife got saved, just to make a long story short. And um, he goes on this rampage to try to dissuade her from being a follower of Jesus. So he interviews all these theologians and all these God chasers and these uh, just brilliant men and women who are passionate about their faith. And in the process, he, he treats it like a, a court case. He's putting Jesus or belief in Jesus on trial and he ends up getting radically saved and born again because every, everything points to Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He is who he said he is. The defense of the gospel lies in believing Jesus was who he said he was without wavering over decades. My concern for this family is will we be steady for decades? Will we be steady for decades? Not if we're going to get a new building two years from now. Not if our attendance will double. Not if we do life groups or not do life groups. I mean, those are all cool things. I mean, great. My real concern as a papa is will we be steady about who Jesus is for decades? The wisdom of Christology, or what I like to call the excellencies of Christ. I want to encourage everyone in this room to become a student of studying Jesus. I just say there's so much about we're going back to the simple gospel. There's a fresh wind blowing on the gospel right now. 
in our, in our nation, in Indianapolis for sure. People are getting saved, delivered, set free, healed, all the tokens of heaven coming, of the kingdom of God being at hand. But it all means nothing unless we are in pursuit of the man who's in pursuit of us. So Christology literally means it's the understanding or the study of Christ, the study of his nature, how he works. It's both going after his divinity and his humanity. Proverbs 25, 2, I quote this a lot. It says, it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. In the book of Revelation, we're called his kings and priests. It is your glory to search out the excellencies of Jesus, beloved. It's your glory to go in the gospels and to find Jesus peeking behind every dotted I, every O and saying, come and get me, guys. It is your glory to pursue that one. John 17, three says it clearly. Now this is what, if you want a, a great description of eternity, what's eternal life? So many of us, eternal life is, man, I want to get rid of this back pain. I'd sure like to pay off my bills, get a yacht, da 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 and then like get my golden ticket, go to heaven, and just float on a cloud somewhere drinking uh, virgin pina coladas and just like sermon my harp and calling it a day. That is not God's dream for you and I. This is his dream. This is the eternal spirit If you want to understand God's dream for eternity, it's this. I want human beings to know me. That word is experiential knowledge. It's not enough to know me with your head, and it's not enough to only know me as a feeler or with your heart. Heart, soul, mind, strength. I want you as a whole being to know me, to celebrate me, to love me, to fear me, to reverence me, to cuddle with me, to draw near to me. Says you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Paul just says it. So I hear Gary quote this all the time, but uh, to the church in Philippians, to the Philippi church, Philippians 3.10, I want to know Jesus Christ. Sometimes I just walk around, I pace the prayer room, I just put my hand on my belly and I just, I kind of make it my breath prayer under my breath. I want to know Jesus. I want to know you in the depths of my heart. I'm so hungry to know. And sometimes I just, I just walk around and go, would the real Jesus please stand up? He's like, yo, dude, I've been waving in your face all day long. He's already standing. He's clearly displayed his goodness in the earth. I just want to talk about the father's view of Jesus real quick. So the father's view of the son, I call this the father's eternal decree about Jesus. So I want to start just reading some of these stories, but I want to start in Luke uh, chapter 9. And I call this, look out, Papa gets up on the chair. So I've done this before, and I don't think my shoes can handle it today, so I'm not going to get up on the chair. But imagine if I pulled this chair out, and Papa got up on the chair, and when that, that means Papa's serious. He's got like some addressing to do, some, some uh, highlighted attention to this thing. So let's talk about the transfiguration real quick. Luke 9, 28 through 36. So after about uh, eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James. So his three closest 
students who he's pouring into. He's intimate with these guys. He takes them with him. They go up into a mountain to pray. Okay, so get the word prayer there. What are they doing on the mountain? They're seeking the face of God. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. I think this is so funny. Everywhere Jesus brings these guys to pray, especially Peter, like there's a spirit of stupor. I mean, I think there's a spirit of stupor on so much of the church towards prayer right now. Like the sleepy spirit, the moment we're like, let's go seek God. Let's climb up the mountain of the Lord. Let's gather. I mean, everyone was excited about dwell the first week. And then we see what really manifests as far as hunger goes. Are you with me? There's this spirit of stupor and sleepiness that is alive and well um, in the church. So Peter, it's just real deal. Jesus addresses it in Luke 9 because it's real. It's something we have to shake off and cast off. It says, but when they became fully awake, like suddenly, wow, they could have missed this visitation. Can you imagine missing something like this? But they, the Lord in his goodness wakes them up. They see the glory. They see Elijah and Moses there as Moses and Elijah take off. Peter says to them, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love this parenthesis. He didn't know what he was talking about. He's just like, you ever get in nervous situations where like, and you just start blabbing and you're like, I just shouldn't even talk right now. I see that, Ann Gary, you're absolved. Yes, we've all are, gets in those situations. We're just nervous and we just blah. And so that's what's going on with Peter. Peter keeps it real, man. This guy is so real. We all have that in us. So um, 34, here's where Papa gets on the chair. While he was speaking, a cloud appears and covers them, and they were afraid as they, in, as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, here we go. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Papa gets up on the chair and says, this is all about Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to him. The disciples, so, sorry, when they, the voice had spoken, they found after the glory lifts, it says all they found was Jesus standing there alone. I just love it. At the end of the day, it's about Jesus before us. Uh, David said, I've set the Lord always before me. I mean, I close, I close my eyes at night and I purposely picture Jesus before me. First thing when I wake up in the morning, I purposely get a picture of Jesus before me. I, I have set the Lord always before me. Psalm chapter two, the nations are raging. The nations are raging. The leadership of planet earth is in a tumult. They're angry, they're bitter, they're raging. We have to figure out why are the leaders of planet earth so offended and so upset. It makes it clear in Psalm 2 why they're raging. It's because of verse 6 is the, the pivotal verse there. It says, 
and this is God the Father speaking. He says, I have installed my king, my son on Mount Zion, my holy mountain. And no matter what you do or say, you will never change my mind and my choice will remain forever. I'm sitting my son as the rightful king of planet earth and he will never be moved. He will never be moved. And it outrages the nations of the earth. The un, I'm talking about the unredeemed. It outrages the leaders of the nations. So he says in front of everyone, it's like Papa gets back up on the chair. Now he's on the chair that fills the nations of the earth. And he's like, everyone listen up. Church and unredeemed nations. He says, you are my son today. I have become your father. And he's announcing it. He's decreeing it among the nations. The father is unashamed of his choice of Jesus to lead planet earth. And he lets everyone know. This is, I'm telling you, this is what it means to be Jesus central, to be unashamed of the father's choice of Jesus as leader because a spirit of offense is coming in stronger and stronger ways. Even as revival is breaking out, a spirit of offense offense against uh, a part of the church, coming from part of the church that wants to turn Jesus into something different from what the father has installed him to do in the nations of the earth. He said, ask of me and I'm gonna give you nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Do you know, wanna know why the nations are raging? They want to control planet earth. Unredeemed men in closed door meetings are plotting to kick God off the planet. That's what's going on in Psalm 2. It is, it's been throughout human history. The wrestle in the garden onto the very last battle before Jesus returns is all about who gets control of the planet and who gets to control the outcome of the hearts and lives of men and women. Luke chapter three, the baptism of Jesus. I love this, so affectionate. Luke 3, 22, and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove upon Jesus and a voice comes from heaven, which says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, I mean, the father affirms who Jesus is. This is my son. Make no mistake about it. Are you Jesus central? So staying steady on who Christ is. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are Christ, the son of the living God. I would just start practicing the gospel in your testimony. Start saying, who is, people ask you, who is this Jesus guy? He is Christ the son of the living God. He is the Messiah. He is the one. So obviously I'm going to close this out with John chapter four, encountering Jesus, the woman at the well. This is, man, there's no more foundational story for if you want to prophetically know who we are as a, as a family, it's Genesis 26, the story of the five wells of, of Isaac and Jacob and um, it's John 4. So the story of the woman at the well, which I'm not gonna go into, this is a whole nother message, but I love it here in John chapter four as I was rereading it even this morning. I think it's so cool that Jesus is the one who initiated the conversation. What if the well, what if this, this family room were the kind of place where Jesus initiated conversations with the weak, the broken, 
the lost, prodigals, sick, healthy, rich, poor, hungry, rejected, lonely, the powerful. What if this was a place where Jesus initiates the conversation through you and I as people come in here to find God? And I tell you, he's going to pack this place with people wanting to get living water, wanting to find living water. He will bring in transgendered people. He will bring in the homosexual community. He will bring in drug addicts. He will bring people that don't look in place in Carmel. Why? Because we have prophetically said there's a well here in the spirit of John 4, which is not natural water. It's living water. It'll be a true test of what our foundation is. Is it on Jesus? And do we believe what he's spoken to us about our, our DNA, of what he's about? It's all about encounter with Jesus. Who's at the well? Guys, who's at the well? Yeah, we are, and people are going to, there's people you do not even know in this room. And guess what? I'm just commissioning you right now. You're all pastors. Okay, don't look at Bruce and I or uh, Terry as the kids pastor and say, well, they'll go greet those people. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about being seeker friendly. I'm talking about being Jesus central. A Jesus central people looks with the eyes of Jesus, looks around, and it's not just like, oh, I want a reputation that we're a friendly church. Jesus sees people. He actually sees people. He sees the one who comes in and looks like they're all together, living in Carmel, and they've got money and this, but inside they're broken and lonely and just need someone to pray for them. I mean, I would love it if worship more and more, we saw people just breaking out of their feed me, feed me, and just saw, opened your eyes and looked. It happens to me every Sunday I come in here, and, and uh, I see people who need just need a midwife. They just need someone to come alongside of them and just get that connection redone. It takes a couple minutes. Sometimes it's just an arm around them or a pat on the back or a hug or eye contact to say, I see you. It's what Jesus did with this woman. She got so snarky with him. I love, I love the woman at the well. We're going to get some snarky people coming here like, why are you saying hi to me? Like, do you know what I've done? He's like, listen, lady, I know, exa- I know way more than you know about who you are. And so he starts giving her words of knowledge and calling her forth. Okay, let's close with this. So guys, go into John chapter four. It's an amazing story. I dare you guys, first of all, I love this picture. This is from Akion, who is a prophetic artist and uh, just incredible. This is my favorite picture of Jesus on the planet. She started, she drew this, I think when she was eight years old, she's a prodigy and um, was unsaved when she started having, uh, her parents were unsaved. She started having encounters with Jesus and started getting taken up into heaven and gave, was given the gift of art. And so this is my favorite picture of Jesus on the planet. But uh, we want to love Jesus as the lowly baby in the manger, as the humble king, as the suffering servant, as the man of sorrows, as the beloved, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the slain lamb, as the obedient son. We want to be Jesus central by loving the servant of all, the savior, the great high priest, the one who is fully God, yet he is fully man. I wanna love the miracle worker, the bridegroom, the friend of sinners. 
Emmanuel, the second Adam, the image of the invisible God, the word made flesh, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, the desire of all nations. I want to love the chief among the thousands, the most excellent among men, the faithful witness, the chief cornerstone, the light of the world, the great physician, the true vine. I want to love the door, the gate, the way, the truth. He is the life. Let's stand. I want to encourage you, if you have uh, kids in our amazing children's ministry, just want to encourage parents, if you could go get your kids. We're going to go into a time of ministry. And um, if you want to, I'd encourage you to bring your kids back in here. But um, again, just to bless our workers. Also, when you see our, our children's, actually, I don't want to call them workers, they're ministers, worthy ministers. If you see our kids ministers, tell them thank you for what they do here at the well. They're helping steward the dreams of God's heart for your kiddos. So it's such a huge pastoral position and gift to us. And there's no junior Holy Spirit, right? So I just want to, um, I just want to do a little business with Jesus. So I feel like the Lord wants to plumb line us. The Father wants to plumb line us back to raw Jesus today. If we miss this, we miss it all. We've just created a God in our own image. Man, I'm, gosh, I'm not sure I've ever done this yet. If some of you on the ministry team want to come up, if you don't know if you're on the ministry team or not, let's just do it this way. If you love Jesus, tag. You can come up here and pray for people. Um, here's what I want to do. Uh, I've not done this since I've been here, but I want to do like an altar call. Uh, I want to call people back to Jesus, to like a renewal, a renewal of our commitment to be Jesus central. And if you want to come and kneel up here in the front, if you want, I mean, I, I'm asking you guys to make a public confession of your faith. And you could kneel at your seat. Again, there's no like right or wrong with this. It's not performance. But I feel like some of you just as a prophetic act need to get out of your seat, break through some of that apathy and passivity and just come and kneel here at the front or come and pray with one of these guys. If you have, if you have a blockage towards Jesus, then come let them do apologetics for you and get that thing off. Pray for you. But I just want to encourage anyone right now, just if you want to renew your commitment to Jesus, I think it's the only way forward. I mean, there's some exciting stuff coming up in these next 19 things. I mean, that will blow your socks off. It's going to be amazing, but it's nothing if we don't go through this door right here. So just Lord, just come ahead forward as you want to or kneel in your seat. Lord, we just rededicate our lives to you. Lord, for Actually, since Wednesday on, every day you brought up uh, 
Matthew 7 about the narrow gate, enter in through the narrow gate. I just pray and make the narrow gate so real to us right now, Lord. Lord, as a papa here, I just rededicate my life to you today. I just re-up, Lord. I just, I come before you and I receive, I receive a renewing of my affections, of my heart towards you, a removal of distractions, a cutting away of all the clutter, a cutting away of all the distractions, a cutting away of that which hinders love. Oh, I want to come back to Jesus. I want to come back. Doesn't that sound funny? For a 50-year-old who's been passionate for Jesus for almost 30 years, I'm just like, I'm coming back to Jesus today. Lord, I'm just coming back to you, to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. Oh, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to pure and simple devotion to Jesus. I will build on no other foundation but the foundation of Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ crucified. Christ in us, the hope of the glory of the well in Carmel. That wind is still blowing. That breeze is still blowing. The breeze is still blowing all across this room. It's a, a fresh release on the good news. It's a fresh release of the gospel. You know, I've done nothing but share the gospel today. This is all gospel. It's going to get really, really good. So I just pray more, Lord. I just pray, let the wind blow. Let a fresh release of the gospel blow across the well.